Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, dying time is here. Sexy dying time. It's Silk Stockings Killer Cop, Season 3, Episode 11, on Kill by Kill. Well, greetings and salutations, Internet Troll Pal Patrick Hamilton, coming to you once again from the San Diego County uh, area of Palm Beach, Florida. This is the Kill by Kill podcast, where usually we are dedicated to celebrating the least discussed component of any horror film, the characters. This time we will be delving into the uh, sexy victims of one USA Network's Silk Stockings, and the hopes that a sexy victim's untimely end is just the beginning of the jokes that we can make at their expense. And as always, uh, there's only one person that I trust that if I need help with my campaign to become county prosecutor, uh, she will put on a cheap hat for no particular reason to help me gain office. The one and only Gina Radcliffe. How are you doing today, Gina? I'm good, but I think you, uh, if you really want to uh, win the public's uh, trust and votes, you really need to wear one of those saucy little prisoner uniform waitress outfits. <laughs> yeah, you know, that's fantastic. That projects uh, everything you want in an authority figure. Someone you want to elect to office is uh, someone who looks like she's a Swiss miss, like she's bringing out fondue. Is that what that uh, the, that uniform is at the opening soiree? I, I mean, I assumed it's supposed to be like an old-timey j- jail uniform because it's a cop-themed bar. <laughs> oh, yeah. And she, she looks like, uh, she, looks, uh, like she uh, works at a pirate dinner theater, uh, which <laughs> long ago, uh, when I lived in Orlando briefly, um, they were just starting out and they had a brochure that they would put in every hotel and motel room and you would unfold it. And there was a picture of a pirate guy on a jet ski and the, uh, copy that they had overlaid over the picture said, surprise pirates. Now <laughs> I, I'm not going to tell you that I'm a marketing professional, but it turns out I am. And the one surprise you don't find in most pirate shows is pirates. Now, you throw in a Viking, that's a surprise, okay? Uh, the jet ski, that's more surprising. The I, I was going to say, I, I think that the surprise here is that the pirate is on a jet ski. <laughs> Uh, well, uh, I I don't want to alarm you and cause you to call the silk stockings, you know, Gina, but we are not alone for this special Valentine's Day episode of Kill by Kill. No, we have a very special guest. He's a returning all-star and returning champion, the <laughs> one, the only Michael Verratti. How are you doing today, Michael? Hello, hello. I'm very excited to be here uh, and to rejoin you all to talk about this saucy late-night treat. <laughs> uh, I happened to revisit uh, Silk Stockings for reasons I can't begin to say other than it was free and it was streaming. And <laughs> I lamented, like, I, I was fascinated with this show, but I wasn't particularly sure why. Uh, and you said that you also liked it. And I said, oh, no, no, we, got, we should do this for Valentine's Day. Let's talk about an episode, a typical in the middle of the, uh, you know, many seasons that it was on, episode of Silk Stockings, and you suggested one killer cop from season three. It's episode 11. And the reason we picked it was 
Rhonda Shear is in it. Yes. So um, I actually was a big fan of Silk Silk Stockings when it aired originally, and I have not seen this particular episode since, you know, the the 90s. So I kind of didn't really recall what it was about. But at this moment in time, uh, this was USA Network at its prime being its weird, scintillating, sexy self before it kind of fell in line with all the other cable networks. And they were kind of pushing the boundaries of like bizarro shows. Like you're not going to see some of the stuff that ends up on later uh, seasons of Silk Stockings uh, on, on primetime. They, they really wanted you to know the show was a horny show. Yes. Uh, and at the time, um, USA is kind of like shining star, uh, and their kind of bread and butter was the fact that they celebrated the weird and unusual B-movies and cult films and sexploitation films. And on Friday and Saturday nights, uh, for the better part of a decade, there was a show called USA Up All Night. And it was hosted on Friday nights by Rhonda Shear, uh, who hosted from here in Los Angeles. And on Saturday nights, uh, it was hosted by one Gilbert Godfrey, who would host it in New York. And um, they would show all manner of insanity. Uh, and it got to the point that um, movies were getting so much attention that some cult filmmakers were making cuts of films specifically to air on Up All Night. So not only are you seeing like Friday the 13th and, uh, you know, Night of the Creeps and uh, The Toxic Avenger, but then they were making movies like Vice Academy and Bikini yeah. Car Wash Company. <laughs> and I uh, I have said in interviews about my own career before that this was the altar at which I worshipped. Uh, my life changed when I saw a double feature of Attack of the Killer Tomatoes and Return of the Killer Tomatoes hosted by Rhonda. And when you reached out and said, let's do Silk Stockings, I kind of scanned through the list because I knew because of this up all night, connection they had a lot of horror folks pop by in guest spots but i saw Rhonda's name and i thought you know uh we got to do it we got to do it for Rhonda sheer we do i i i watched at the time and and i very much enjoyed it but gina what is your relationship to silk stockings did i force you to watch this for the first time <laughs> i knew it existed this is the very first episode i've ever seen <laughs> I, mean, I definitely watched up all night, but I, this, you know, I, I, again, I knew this existed. It always seemed to be on and yet I, I, I never watched it before. Yeah. It did have a ubiquitousness to it that I don't think a lot of their other programming had at the time. And there's a particular reason I just learned it uh, just a couple of days ago. So silk stockings was originally part of a block on CBS called Crime time after prime time. And they would put it on after local news. So it would be up against the Tonight Show and Nightline and Arsenio Hall between 1991 and 1993. And that's when they uh, contracted David Letterman to start the late show there. So all of a sudden, all eight of those or 10 of those shows actually were, you know, cast off into the wind. And I think there was one vampire detective show that went off into into syndication called forever forever night Night. that one i did watch that's one i actually also own all three seasons of it was imported from canada uh and it was recently um re-released by mill creek as like a complete series dvd but if you have the old dvds it was like literally pan and scan from whatever vhs masters and the first episode pilot of forever night has the primetime primetime logo on it Nice. That it was just like someone at the studio was like, eh, whatever. And, but it's only on that pilot. Uh, but I, I love it. I mean, it gives a little bit of a dose. Yes. If you ever wanted to hear a vampire say sorry, uh, it's all there for you. 
it's a um, it's a good uh it's a good match with um with werewolf the canadian werewolf show on fox during yeah. the 80s which will never see the light of day due so, due to some insane rights issue like people pine for it all the time but it's never going to see the light of day it's like locked in a box or somewhere with walt disney's head like i couldn't even find it when i worked at fox that's how locked away that shit is um <laughs> so yeah rondish here uh was uh the friday night host and i was gonna say like vice academy was a very prototypical Anything that came across as softcore, anything that allowed uh, B-movie starlets to run around in lingerie so that you could right. see a lot of stuff, but not the things that would really get you in trouble. And there were very obvious edits so that they would sell VHS tapes of the unedited version there. Uh, and yeah, it, it was, I don't know, it, it, I, I listen, I was young and I was horny. Okay, it's like that excuse in Real Genius when they when they find Kent, uh, you know, naked with Jello. He was hot and he was hungry, and he was there. So uh, I admit, I know I'm not supposed to be horny on Maine and all that shit, but uh, silk stockings. And this episode is very primed with it with this cold open is yeah. meant to be sexy baby and yeah well i mean it is a sh this is a show if any show could be described as horny on main silk stockings is one of those <laughs> yes. because it's exactly what you said i mean uh usa network really really excelled in kind of selling you the idea that you were seeing more than you actually were mm -hmm. uh because it was still a cable network so they edited a lot of stuff out but like you're there and you're watching silk stockings which i feel is like kind of the safer red shoe diaries for like cable and um it was wild because yeah. it, I, I always describe this show to people that it's not necessarily a show about sex crimes, although this episode happens to, mm -hmm. uh, but it's a show about sexy crimes yes. and USA <laughs> network wants you to know the difference. Yeah. It, it's definitely I, like I was reading the plot. I'm like, Oh, so this is sort of like special victims unit. No, it's, it's not like special victims no. unit because, because special victims unit is, is bleak and, and depressing and, 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 you know, just sort of, you know, emphasizes how terrible everybody is and and here it's a sort of yeah you're they're sexy crimes you're right that's the best way to describe it <laughs> yeah it's the hoi polloi of palm beach florida via san diego and uh it, it, because of this they're all and they're all having sex constantly and the crime just sort of happens in the middle it's just yeah. sort of it's like something like we were all just going to bone and then whoopsie doodle, this person ended up dead. And then an hour later, the crime solved. And then there, and then there are lots of extras walking around aerobics outfits. <laughs> if you, if you gave me a drink for every time I saw someone in biker shorts, uh, in <laughs> silk stockings, I would be Charles Bukowski. I, <laughs> I would literally, my brain would be filled with gin. Uh, it's, and it's just a, it's a weird time capsule. And so why not? We've been breaking formula here at kill by kill, uh, because people don't like late era nightmare in Elm street. <laughs> <laughs> so we're hoping you might like this and it's Valentine's day, baby. We're doing this literally the night before this will come out. Like, yeah, just, just like a, a proof of life here. Today, they released Batman footage that I still can't see. People tell me there's a Batman in there. 
Couldn't tell you. You, ha- you, have, to, you have to wait. It, 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 it takes a while for the screen to clear. Okay. <laughs> wait, um, is this the Robert Pattinson Batman? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. it's a, it's like a like costume, uh, whatever they call it. Um, costume test. Yeah, costume test. And it's literally just a very, very dimly lit shot. Everybody's like losing their fucking minds over it. Well, let me ask you this on the eve of Valentine's Day, since yes. this, is, this is being brought up. Who do you trust more to solve a crime, Batman or Sergeant Rita Lee Lance and Sergeant Chris Lorenzo? Oh, that is a very salient question. Um, certainly, if I want to do it within the bounds of the law, I'm going with Rita because she's a straight arrow. Chris yeah. plays outside the lines. He needs Rita to really keep him in line. Batman kills a lot of people, um, even inadvertently. Uh, even though he tries not to, uh, but he is, he does, he is kind of, I don't know, a little bit sexier. I mean, the costume sometimes like it, it's pretty fucking hot. Yeah. Uh, well, there's a silk stockings episode right there is, you know, people who wear superhero fetish gear. Oh, love it. Let's reboot this motherfucker. Let's make it. It's ready. You know what? Uh, what are Mitzi capture and Rob Estes doing right now? I think, the Netflix revival of Silk Stockings is primed and ready. I was going to say, I imagine they're probably attending a lot of Silk Stockings fan conventions. <laughs> I would I'm... like to hope that there are Silk Stockings fan conventions. <laughs> oh, there has to be. I mean, it was on for like eight years. There has to be a, a, a somewhat of a robust fan base for them. I, I have to believe it. it lives in the minds of people, but it might not be at the forefront. I'm As to what they're doing, I don't. I have not seen Mitzi Capture on anything in quite some time rob estes i i'll be honest with you if he hasn't been a villain in a cw dc show i will give you ten dollars because it feels like he's the kind of guy who's like well we need like a corporate raider type uh someone who's like a bad businessman someone get rob estes on the phone and he's like there in a flash and he's got the same rectangle head he was like one two punch in uh Melrose place at this time too. Oh yeah. Yeah. He almost uh he almost abandoned the whole thing and then they rewrote it in the contract. Um there's a weird thing that I read that uh he and uh she flipped uh who had top billing every week. Oh, so, I like that. Yeah, it was very equitable that way. And the weird thing about the pilot is and I this just needs to be mentioned that both these people very plainly say we should be boning, but we can't because we're partners. So as soon as one of us gets promoted or transferred, then our private parts can touch. Yes. <laughs> Which, you know what I have to say, for as sexy as Silk Stocking se- seeks to be, uh, our heroes always believe in the sexiness of consent and following the sexual playbook <laughs> laid out by their own personal moral codes. <laughs> it's very, very true. See, I just, so, I just couldn't help notice that uh, that Mike Post looked at his own baseline from the Law and Order theme for this theme song. <laughs> <laughs> it is a damn good baseline. I mean, you got to give it up there. Um, yeah, there's a lot of stuff that seems to be recycled. Uh, let's get into it. Let's. Uh, we open up as uh, as Gina mentioned at. Society, which, uh, if I remember correctly, uh, a Batman villain, the crown prince of crime himself, told me is something we live in. And we're introduced to Rhonda Shear, who is dressed like she's a bar hostess on Battlestar Galactica. 
I mean, this is pretty much what Rhonda was wearing nigh constantly at this era. <laughs> I, I kind of believe that she just kind of popped over from the USA up all night set yeah. and uh, did this sort of thing and then she went did. right back and was like, all right, y'all. No, Tonight, she got an Amtrak camp. down. Yep, did this in a night, right back up, uh, <laughs> and so she is. Uh, uh, we're led to believe that uh, she's uh, uh, a cop groupie, uh, and so when she is, uh, we are first introduced to her when a guy at the bar says, "Hey, let's have sex again," and she's like, <laughs> "No thanks." <laughs> Yeah, the dialogue in this is uh, pretty, 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 pretty good. Yeah. But I think this cold open is so indicative of, like, the vibe of Silk Stockings because, like, let's just examine some of these ideas that are thrown out in the first 30 seconds. It's a cop bar that's sort of like a sexy cop bar. Yeah. And then there's a cop groupie, and this woman's thing is she goes to the sexy cop bar to, like, scout and sex up cops. <laughs> yeah. And then we find out later that she cuts the button off their uniform shirts. Yeah, so she can have a sexual conquest moment. But the buttons are all very decorative. They look like the buttons that would be on uh, a formal coat. So is she having, is she primarily picking them up at funerals and award ceremonies? Because that would be the only time you would wear that decorative button coat. Well, Rhonda did host all the Police Academy films, so I kind of feel like that maybe it was just well-timed. Yeah, a lot of graduations. Uh, She heads outside, and that is where she propositions an on-duty cop named Parker uh, to go have sex at her place. Um, And we immediately cut to her bedroom, uh, which is a wash in pastels. Yes. Uh, Sheer is given the monumental task of not exposing her nipples during oh, she, the sex. Th- this is remarkable. I actually wrote this down, how good the blocking is in this scene. I mean, it doesn't look natural at all, but but she, no. does, she does do a, a very good job of only showing just enough side boob to, <laughs> to get a late night rating. Right. Yeah. It, 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 I mean, it really is a tough task for her, and she manages to make it come off. Uh, but in the middle of their lovemaking, uh, Sheer calls out the name of Tom as she's begging for more love. And so uh, this means that she's having sex with Parker. She calls out Tom. Hopefully, she's also fucking a guy named Colonel. So we have uh, a foursome of <laughs> Colonel Tom Parker and her. Uh, and, and Parker's like, oh, I, I'm through with this. I'm walking out. Uh, cut to a pair of Murder Beach-style black gloves. They belong to a patrol cop, but which one? When the cop pulls Sheer over, she's murdered, uh, exposing a lot of cleavage-style. Cut to opening credits. The longest opening credits in TV show history. (laughs) I love the Silk Stocking opening because it's a solid minute of theme song (laughs) and just like, montage things that I think that people in the 90s thought were sexy. It's like, yeah. here's a briefcase and a saxophone <laughs> and, like, perhaps a martini. And then these two people are passing off, like, a dossier, but also a machine gun and a palm frond. And you're just like, why Why is this still happening? And, yeah, why, and, and, why? and a glistening torso that does not appear to belong to anybody in the cast. And a tarantula no. on silk sheets? What is happening there? <laughs> 
Why is that blonde legs akimbo standing nearly on top of a Ferrari? It, I, I don't know. But every time I watch it, it, it I just, ex, I just exhale. Like, oh, oh, it's it's a long opening credit sequence. But unlike Netflix, I never skip it. No, no. There's so much to catch. There's so much to learn. Um, yes. The other thing is, it was originally in its CBS version supposed to have uh, one section of it which would expressly be part of the that episode, but then they dropped it after the first one. <laughs> like, that's ah, too much. Like, which, let's just keep it the way it is. Keep that tarantula where it is. Keep the flowy silk stockings credit wipe on there. Perfecto. Uh, so after opening credits, uh, we get our typical silk stockings opening monologue. This time it's delivered by Mitzi Kepcher. Uh, now, for those of you who don't know Mitzi, uh, she was voted most likely to wear a mini skirt for an entire decade in high school. Uh, she plays Sergeant Rita Lee Rant, uh, Lance, excuse me, and then uh, Rob, the flesh and hair triangle, Estes, is Sergeant Chris Lorenzo. When we open up, they are, uh, uh, they're part of a, they're attending a campaign luncheon, and uh, Mitzi's uh, opening uh, monologue contains this phrase, um, those with ambition want to achieve, and those with envy simply want. Fuck you, Aaron Sorkin. I've got a new dialogue <laughs> god now. Which, which, when you think about it, has absolutely nothing to do with the rest of the plot, with the rest of the episode. Like no. that has no relevance to to the plot or anything that happens in it. Yeah, is is what is the lesson here that someone is envious? I guess, I I, I guess you could twist it into that, but that would not be my main takeaway from the plot of this particular episode. Um, Rita is uh, resplendent in a dusty yellow, while Chris is wearing a disturbingly blue suit jacket and a tie chosen from my father's closet. <laughs> uh, both are eating free food at the uh, DA's uh, election campaign uh, luncheon. I guess he's running for higher office. And uh, he's got a sexy political consultant who definitely wants to do a half gainer into Chris's pants. Yes, and uh, this particular uh, person, Kate Hodge, um, she is a horror alum because she was in uh, Leatherface, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3, as well, if I'm not mistaken, the lead actor of the She-Wolf of London, another 90s uh, joint. Ooh, I I don't know that I've caught that one. I might have to check that out. Uh, Yeah, she's she's got quite a dress on. Good for her. Um, But uh, this is one of those BC plots that seems to come up over and over through the bulk of the episode, but it's, it's kind of like time filler. Uh, but uh, let's, uh, they get a, a beep on their beeper <laughs> just yeah. to remind you this happened in 1993 and we cut to the lush Brown coastal Hills of Florida, Florida. Yeah, this is supposed to. to take place in Florida. Everyone, uh, Florida, not known for its Brown Hills. Um, and this, uh, we learn, uh, Chris arrives there and he's talking to the coroner and, uh, <laughs> she tells us that the victim victim was strangled and quote, died in a panic, which I don't think is something a coroner can actually tell you. I, I don't know if the coroner can tell you, can tell that someone had quote, so much to live for. Yeah, um, this this coroner's exposition, though, is kind of amazing. Because she just offers up a lot of armchair sleuthing. 
<laughs> but she also is the second woman of the episode who's like, okay, we got a dead body here, but Chris, hey. Oh. Have you noticed that you're sexy? Because the rest of us have all noticed. We're uh, talking he- about it back in the office. <laughs> but also Chris, later in the episode, literally sexually harasses her in the middle of a hallway. And I, I'm just like, holy hell, what is happening with the harassment seminars at this place? They just, well, it's a silk stockings unit. You know, we play fast, fast and loose around here. Yeah, I do appreciate that um, when you watch this by the lens of 2019, there's a lot going on at the Palm <laughs> yeah. Beach Police Department that I think that you could show this episode to like any kid today and be like, let's talk about the problematic elements of the show. <laughs> It might only have problematic elements, actually. Uh, The other piece of information we learned from this very helpful coroner is that the name of this, of of Rhonda Shear's poor uh, lamented character, is Cindy Blaine, aged 23. (laughs) Sure. Is this science fiction? Are there flying cars in this this, uh, particular show? 23? Who made that determination? I, I, I had I, I had no choice. I, I I had to look it up. She was actually thirty nine when she when she made and this she episode. Looks fan fucking tastic. Let's put that out there. Rhonda Shear looks great in this episode. She She's really not twenty three. She's just not a twenty three year old. There's no particular reason to make her twenty three either because she has a palatial mansion. And a very expensive car and no job that we've heard about. And as far as I know, and please correct me if I'm wrong, cop fucking still does not pay as highly as I might like it to. Yeah, right? that's, that's the only thing we, we find out about her is that she is 23, likes fucking cops. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we're not really given a lot of information. Um, it is interesting, the whole world of But, you know, maybe the world of cop grouping... I feel like there's a, a Reddit subthread that I need to like maybe investigate. <laughs> sure. Maybe there are things we just don't know. That's very, very, very true. There, there could be an underground economy that we're simply not aware of. So please <laughs> excuse our uh, ignorance. This we also get the first time, but not the last, of Chris sitting in the driver's seat of a car and pantomiming how a crime went down. Uh, I don't know if that's something he did all the time, but he does it several times in just this single episode. So that's great. Um, He's profiling. He is profiling. <laughs> it's off the, top, off the top of his crazy uh, suit jacketed head. Yeah, they give, yes. they give a lot of information uh, you know, where they sound like they know what they're talking about, but I feel like a lot of it was made up for the show. Like, like in the later, no, I'm jumping ahead a bit, but um someone is made to look like they've committed suicide. And one of them says, well, how does a cop normally kill themselves? Well, they put the gun in their mouth. And I'm like, is that true? Yeah. I don't know where you would find that out. <laughs> no, I think rewatching the show, there is kind of like an awareness that a lot of the crime exposition is sort of like, we just need to power through this to get you back to wire here. <laughs> the cheese. Because like there's always there's like these weird subplots where it's like oh yeah running for for city council or this is going on, but let's let's get it done let's get it done let's <laughs> and then let's get Chris on a date or yeah. 
We got to make sure that everyone remembers that Chris is a dude and that ladies want that dude. Exactly. It's, a, <laughs> it's very important that everyone figure this out. Uh, this is where we uh, find the cop uniform buttons, which ap- appear to number in the double dozens at least. Yes. Uh, she is a very busy lady, and God bless her. No problem there. Honestly, uh, the reason why she dies has very little to do with the fact that she likes having sex with cops. It's just like this weird thing about her. Like, and she also had mini skirts. Like, it, it doesn't end up mattering in the end. But uh, that cop Parker arrives resplendent in salmon. This yes. this show has a lot of salmon going on. Like, was there a sale on salmon fabric? Oh, it's yeah. The color everywhere. palette of uh, silk stockings is remarkable. It's like someone <laughs> took a coupon down to Contempo Casual and just went crazy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, he, he's got that. He's got that. And he's got that Kevin Costner and the bodyguard Caesar haircut. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was everywhere. Um, <laughs> yeah, you can... Um, you can practically see the math equations uh, float past Rita's face when she learns that Cindy only collected buttons from the first time she had sex with someone. <laughs> A literal, her eyes like beam up and down as she's doing the math in her head. Uh, Parker lies and says she that he talked to Cindy when he was getting off duty before he clocked out right around the time of death. So he's lying uh, spoiler alert, he had shit all to do with her death. So I'm not particularly sure why he's lying because he's going to be grilled pretty hard uh, for lying. So I, I, I don't know. He's guilty yeah. of something. This episode uh, really is working double time to try and give you so many red herrings, uh, which I kind of appreciate because yeah. everybody's alibi uh, and motives for lying are usually once revealed that they lied not expounded upon in any like satisfactory way. Yeah, you know, like, he didn't have any reason to lie after all that, did he? Well, he knew the victim, but they he, they know that as soon as he shows up at the house. So already he's putting himself in the light that you know. But he didn't have he didn't end up having sex with the victim before she died. But they did have a fight. So I kind of, and he was also on duty. So like he probably would have come up on some sort of reprimand for that, I guess. Um, I don't know. I think Rita and Chris have sex on duty all the time. (laughs) It's entirely possible that they have a very sex friend thing happening. Um, Right. Because they give each other fuck eyes all the time. Uh, (laughs) And uh, also, um, a little bit later, we're treated to Rob Estes's ER era George Clooney impression of moving far too much in a static shot. He's lots of head bobs and half smiles and, <laughs> and he moves his shoulders a whole bunch. Like he doesn't know what arms do when a camera is on. And you're like, what's happening here? This is the third season of this show, but I guess it was a shtick. He, he occasionally, um, he occasionally speaks and, and dresses like he was, you know, by, by, by evening trying to audition to be in swingers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can see it. Yeah, I, I, I bet you he really wanted it, for sure. He would have loved to have been in Swingers, um, and uh, he is negotiating with a guy in the motor pool to fix up his his shitty car. 
which you think is going nowhere. And then he keeps talking to that guy and keeps talking to that guy. And finally, I wrote down, I hope this is going it somewhere. And guess what? It went somewhere. But before we get to that, let's get introduced to suspect number two. He's a patrol officer named Daniels who appears to be six foot 45. <laughs> yeah. He's a tall dude. He's, he's like a, a real ham sandwich. He's very broad shoulders. Uh, why we get we don't get him with his shirt off is a real fucking travesty. Come on, silk stockings. Like, come on. Well, they want us to know that he loves gloves a lot. That's like the real key to this scene. Um, Because that's the other... Again, I think that silk stockings uh, both knew what the audience wanted slash didn't put a lot of stock in the audience's deductive skills. So they kind of wanted to be like, hey, remember when the killer had gloves? He loves gloves. (laughs) (laughs) If you weren't paying attention gloves if you were doing the dishes while watching this guess what gloves there needs to be like exactly. a little there needs to be a little like student bodies like arrow pointing at his gloves every now and then <laughs> with a little dink dink <laughs> yeah he's really making sure he brings them up into frame uh let's cut to captain lipschitz's office not much happens in this scene i just wanted to say lipschitz <laughs> I love this guy. He remained a staple of this program for seasons and seasons and seasons. It seems to have been the only thing he was known for or did. I'm sure he had a long career, but I've only ever seen him on silk stockings. And quite frankly, that's the only place I want to. He's a little bit of a poor man's Dan Hadaya. Yes. Yeah, I can see it. Uh, he always has pens in his shirt pocket. <laughs> but they're very evenly spaced out. <laughs> I was going to say, what I really like about his character in this particular episode, which actually feels very um, of the now, is how con- committed he is to making sure that ple- the people don't think the police are dirty. And it's <laughs> sort of like, you know, the, the world we live in, this is actually a real life thing that gets, you know, brought up a lot when, when uh, you know, there's internal investigations. And we see this uh, in the news where people are... Uh, incited to anger because police officers who do bad things get off. So like he is the moral compass of this. He's like, I, you, you might've heard this on the TV news, but I am not that cop. Right. Yeah. He seems, he seems genuinely concerned about women's safety you know, in, 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 in light of this, uh, this you know, possible cop that's going around and killing people. And it's such a refreshing change of pace from our, our Patreon episode, which, which, uh, which was the which was the seduction, and featured a police detective who, whenever anybody complained to him about a crime or feeling in danger, his response was literally, "What do you want me to do about it?" <laughs> I'm a cop. Come on, like I got a lot of things to do. What? Investigate crimes. A guy breaks into your house. I just I, I investigate this crime. There's just going to be another crime tomorrow. <laughs> Oh, so, yeah, I, I appreciated Captain Lipschitz's sincerity. <laughs> it's very nice. And he gets a big drama moment later on. But we'll get to that. Um, we get to see Daniels in action on the streets of San Diego. Uh, he flirts with a girl in pleated biker shorts. Yeah, well, we, 90s. 90s. 90s in all capital letters. Mint green, by the way. That, that won't be the last time we see mint green. Uh, he pants her ass on her way back into the car. And that's when we, we learn, like, not only is he an asshole, but he's also a creep. 
which yeah. I think we kind of gathered when he's like, hey, look at my gloves, look at my gloves, because that's another thing we learned from Cobra. People who wear gloves too much, that mm, you got to take that shit off. Right? Suspicious. It's very suspicious. Well, you're also in Florida. Like, your fingers are going to be sweaty. <laughs> I know. What are you it's, doing? What are you doing? Yes. Like, is he eating with that like Cobra does? Ugh, gross. Anyways, um, uh, Daniels claims that he was with his ex between two and five on the night of the crime. So uh, this is something that his ex-wife denies immediately one scene later. Right. Um, uh, Daniels also says that he didn't know Cindy. Uh, it turns out he, uh, she was the cause of his, uh, the breakup of his marriage. So yeah, let's, let's talk a little bit about the marriage because mm-hmm. he is, uh, his ex is, is kind of a key factor to his character's arc. Yeah. She had married this bad cop who she couldn't wait to get away from. So of course she did what I would do if I was trying to get away from a cop. Uh, I, I, and get a job as a server at a cop bar. <laughs> Which he hangs out at. <laughs> yeah. But she's dressed as a sexy, as a sexy prisoner. So there's that. So she's got that going for her, right? Yeah. Lots of choices being made here. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. Um, uh, and the next day, Rita and Chris uh, grilled Daniels and, Shitz's office. Uh, Mitzi is now resplendent in her own mint green pantsuit. And Estes is wearing a shade of red that should only be used on a couch in an Old West prostitution parlor. It's well, very specific. He might have repurposed the upholstery of the couch because who knows what crime they investigated prior to this. It's very, very true. It's fuzzy, like something that you would literally upholster something and it's an odd choice it's a very heavy fabric once again for florida uh so anyways uh parker is dismissed they bring in daniels who i believe during the scene it struck me he might be the incredible hulk version of rob hubel yeah (laughs) Um, he just has a rob hubel's patois uh which struck me as odd and of course they basically say you lied to us and Daniel denies everything and also gives nothing away. And the scene just demonstrates what a fucking loony bin of an art director, whoever it was who made the offices in silk fucking stockings. Let's talk about it. Everyone. I think the real heroes of this show are the costume department and the production design because Stephen J. Cannells, who created uh, Silk Stockings, uh, had a very like long and prolific career in TV, and most of his shows were definitely more serious in tone. This is a wackadoo from Jump, uh, and it's it's sort of like someone just gave someone a color wheel and was like, "All right, Cindy, go crazy," and that's and I love it. I love the idea that they were just let's slash up, let's slap up a neon tube. Yeah. Uh, let's put everyone in bright colors. I mean, it looks less like a police office, uh, like a police department, and more like the lobby of a Holiday Inn Express. Um, <laughs> Especially with the cutouts of palm trees on the doors, yes. which are very odd. And then the uh, yellow velour glasswork that separates Lipschitz's office from the from the bullpen are like who made this decision? He should have some level of real privacy and everything. And I mean, everything is lit by a neon tube placed at shin level. It's a very odd lighting technique. The filing cabinet 
is surrounded by neon. None of the filing cabinets are labeled, and there's a giant silhouette of a single ceiling fan. <laughs> it's like, are, uh, are we in some sort of, uh, is Bat, Is a Batman villain working here? It feels like a Batman villain should be working here. Honestly, there is kind of a comic book color palette to the world of Silk Stockings. The other thing that I do think is very interesting, and I noticed it on this, because re- I've, I've revisited some episodes recently uh watching this it kind of struck me that they really really want you to know that they're in palm beach when they're out in the world Mm -hmm. because every sign for something it's not just like bike shop it's palm beach bike shop or (laughs) pb pd mechanic it's like it's like and you both know living anywhere like yes occasionally there's a sign that indicates the town you're in but not like that you're not like I'm not walking up the street here in Studio City and it's like Los Angeles grocery store. <laughs> Los Angeles, you know, Los Angeles Carl's Jr. No. So it's just sort of like, it's wild. Like, in case you, as the viewer, are too distracted by staring into the dreamy eyes of Rob Estes, uh, they're like, remember, Palm Beach. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, it's pretty wild, but it, it makes it stand out. It doesn't look like any other procedural at the time and i do think some of the other usa shows started to pick up the aesthetic of it and like that one uh show about the kite uh, the the cops on bikes pacific blue pacific blue oh my god uh, that, that sort of picked up on this vibe um i would totally if i had a time machine all i would do is go back and watch old usa network television <laughs> because i love how bizarre it was because around this time you've got silk stockings pacific blue and for five seasons and no one seems to remember the weird science television series, yeah, which uh, was just wild. It is. Oh, and Duckman, the animated <laughs> series about a duck, voiced by Jason Alexander. That's yes. the series pitch. You don't yes. need to know anything else. Uh, a a uh, sexy in quotes, Duckman. It's a very very odd fucking show. Uh, on well, I think that it was a network mandate that sexy had to be kind of like involved in everything i did actually out of sheer gross curiosity rewatch an episode of the weird science tv show and i did kind of what we did here where i just picked something somewhere in the middle and uh gary and wyatt are struggling in school and lisa uses her uh cyber genie powers to um change all the subjects in school to be things that teenage boys would know about like Mm. the history of the bikini and pizza folding and like sexy babes 101 and it's sort of appalling now but also it's like Someone wrote this, and for five seasons, it was on the air. (laughs) Also, Sexy Babes 101, they really need to go to 101? I don't know. They've been teen boys for a while now. Also, I'm kind of like, does Lisa hate these kids? Like, I kind of feel like she should. She's an omnipotent being who's just like, cool, super glad that this is what I'm doing this week. Yeah, sadly. Like, we could be going to Mars, but you want, like, a cheese whiz house. Done. (laughs) (laughs) Something I can do very quickly with low-grade CGI. Um, Exactly. uh, This is where Chris uh, is telling the coroner um, that... uh, (laughs) Chris tells the coroner that all the dead bodies must get erections when she walks into the room. Correct. Yes, Uh, he does say that. And she, to her credit, goes with it. She's just like... (laughs) She shouldn't go with You're it. You're bad. <laughs> um, I love her. Bad I, and yet, you know what? I was a, I was a, a, a young adult 
uh, in in the early '90s, and yeah, that is kind of how we would address you know off color remarks. Is just kind of a <laughs> stop. Right. <laughs> I kind of love this actress, um, and I, I have no recollection of her beyond this episode, but. Uh, her choices for every scene she's in are wild. And um, <laughs> it's kind of like she's acting in one show and they're acting in an entirely different show. And I love it. <laughs> like, I don't know. Cause he's just like, Oh my God, the dead body is getting erection. She's like, tee hee, stop. I would leave. <laughs> and you're like, yeah. Because like, if this was a Dick Wolf produced show, that would be a thing that you would want to leave. Like, yeah. There are dead bodies down there, Chris. There are dead bodies down there. It's not okay. Uh, the information she has uh, is that Cindy was raped before death. So that means like out in the open on a sidewalk next to a, a cop car with the lights on, which, okay. And right. uh, also that she was strangled by someone wearing gloves. Gloves, you say? Like gloves, a cop might wear <laughs> quite right. possibly which i think rita pretty much goes there she's like you know who wears a lot of gloves cheats to camera police officers <laughs> <laughs> but then they kind of play it off but then they buy back into it it's this whole they really stretch out the scene now this is what i was talking about at the top of the episode though where i was saying it's a show that's more about sexy crimes and sex crimes and this episode's kind of unique in the way that it actually is about a sex crime. And I mean, I, I would have to revisit the whole series for a, a, a quotient, but this is sort of more heavy than Silk Stockings usually gets. Yeah. Like there's always sex involved in the crime and there's usually some sort of aggression, but it's it, it's not always kind of the focus. So that they went dark with this is kind of fascinating because it's like, it's a, it's a, it's an episode about an abuse of power by a potential police officer, and you're like, "What is Silk Stockings taking a stand right now?" Was this their <laughs> Emmy uh, for your consideration episode? Do you think? Oh my god, I sure hope that someone got nominated for an Emmy for this. <laughs> Hopefully, the production it, design and the costume department. <laughs> I can't remember what the. Oh, do you think this was nominated for a Cable Ace Award? I love the Cable. Oh Ace yeah, Award. this has Ace written all over it. Oh yeah. yeah. Um, one of my ongoing jokes that no one on Twitter has really seemed to clue in on is every award show. I always uh, tweet that I am on my way to host the Cable Ace Awards <laughs> and uh, that I really hope people show up this year. And there's always like a smattering of people who think it's funny, but no one has clocked that for a decade, every award show night, I make the same joke. <laughs> <laughs> one day people yeah. will understand your genius. Um, they go back to society, the cop bar, uh, and Daniel's ex-wife uh, tells us that uh, he was an abusive husband, and so uh, she allowed him, and she left him, but then allowed him to come over the night of the crime and was there from between midnight and 5 a.m. He's supposed to be on duty, by the way. Right. Uh, and then just when you think, well, that sounds like an obvious lie, she walks away from two detectives, goes right to Daniel's, who's semi hiding in the corner and says, all right, you happy? I lied fucking for you. And he's like, Oh, do they fine. not see him? It's like two in the afternoon at a bar. <laughs> yes. And he's also gigantic. He, yes. He's not uh, like the uh, night slasher at Cobra. He does not fade into the background. He doesn't. Oh, blend. Maybe like, hear me out here. Maybe mm -hmm. the gloves are like Clark Kent's glasses. <laughs> and when he's not wearing the gloves, ah. he is invisible to the eyes of uh, Chris and Rita. 
The trick it's of the like eye. his gloves, Clark Kent's glasses, Hannah Montana's wig. These are the things <laughs> that make him disappear. Yes. Um, uh, this is where I wrote my notes. So much time spent with this mechanic. This has to lead somewhere. Uh, oh, you know what? I'm going to tell you, like, is it spoilers? Can we talk about this yet? Sure. Or? Yeah, why not? Uh, I was like, ugh, the mechanic did it from the first scene with him because it was so, it's 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 what I call murder she wrote rules. Sure. He's the least likely subject because he's the most chummy with the with the lead, mm-hmm. whereas everybody is like arching around. It's like no one even has like a semi-questionable ally. They're like, I have lied and I'm mustache twisting. Whereas the, the mechanic's just like, golly gee, Chris, I really think that we could be friends and it would be great if I could go on a ride along with you. I'm like, this guy did it. <laughs> because not for any better reason than they're trying double time to make us think it's everybody else. I, I thought also, I, I would have go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was gonna say also for you cult movie nerds, the guy who plays the mechanic uh, is also the dude from Teen Witch who does the top that rap. You're welcome. Wow. <laughs> way. Oh my God. This is so I mean, the second bad. he came on screen, I was like, why do I know that face? And then it was, <laughs> it just hit me. His name is Noah Blake. He played Roy Hogan. Uh, and um, yeah, Teen Witch is it. Like that's, that's the big moment. He was, uh, comes around he was red. Yeah. My, yeah. yeah I, it took me, I probably was like, as, as soon as, uh, uh, Daniels was eliminated, I'm like, Oh, it's the mechanic. Okay. Cause, cause it's that, what is it? The, the, um, the law of econ- economic, economical characters or something like, like, yeah. When, when, when the other, all other characters have been eliminated, it's that one. And, yeah. and I, I figured because, he spent so much time. I thought he was a regular character. The way initially, the way uh, um, uh, Rob S. He's just talking to him. I'm like, oh, okay. Here's that. You know, here's that mechanic. He's this, you know, quirky, you know, supporting character. I was like, oh wait, no, this guy has never shown up in an episode before. This is just an all new character <laughs> because they're they're trying so hard to create this sense of familiarity. To, yeah. to, to shock the audience into, oh, it's this mechanic. Okay. And, and what I think is, is funny is towards the end of the sh- at the end of the show, after, you know, they figure out it's him and then there's a big police chase and then he's killed. Uh, Rob Essie's like, I don't understand. He seemed like such a nice guy. And I'm like, is this your first murder case? <laughs> right. <laughs> this is, you know, it's just such a, you know, I would think that a cop of all people would not be swayed by someone being nice as a as a you know a reason to eliminate them as a suspect right it's a real a swing and a miss uh from the silk stockings crew that they don't put this together that he has access to all these cars that he knows all of them well that he's just rolled into town that he already has several uh uh, notices on his jacket but nope they don't uh, a bunch of Michigas happens in the middle of here. Like we see Rita is walking around with this massive day planner. And yeah. for our younger members of the audience, a, a day planner was what we did before smartphones. You carried around a leather bound calendar, the size of Stephen King's, the stand. <laughs> <laughs> and that told you where to go and had people's addresses in it. And you could take notes. It's really insane. Chris goes on a date uh, with the girl from Leatherface. <laughs> yeah. Saw three. Uh, her house is more blue than a James Cameron movie. They also drink wine from silver goblets. 
I suspect so they didn't actually have to put a liquid in the glass. Oh, that makes a lot more sense. I I assumed a king was coming over later. No, but I did very much clue into their drink acting because I'm, I'm it's something I'm obsessed with. And like she takes a beat to make it look like she swallows. Rob Estes is just like, nope. No. He just like puts it to his lips, sets it down. And he's like, let's talk about why I'm really here. <laughs> uh, he does. Yeah, he really plays coy. She is toying with uh, all of his ears multiple times, and he's not really sure what is happening there. But he should be because everyone is trying to do a half gainer down in his pants constantly on the show, and he never picks up on it. And he really should. Uh, the next she day, kisses him, and he's still like, "What's happening here? What kind of detective are you, Chris?" Like, uh, is this part of the election campaign? The kissing? I don't. I don't know how voting works. I am but a mere police officer. Um. So the the next day. Uh, uh, it turns out uh, a lady gets pulled over by uh, another cop wearing gloves and she is almost killed, but then speeds away just in the nick of time. And so she shows up in Lipshitz's office, <laughs> which is a real tongue twister. Um, yep. And uh, they just like, oh, well, thank God uh, you didn't die. Uh, now you can escort yourself out. Rob S says her, her name is Jean. They make a point to say her name just to send her home. Yes. Um, Estes is wearing a maroon mock turtleneck. Uh, just in case you wanted to, to know what era this took place in, it's definitely the mid-90s. Um, there's also, uh, I, I there should be a neon painting at the, the neon sign pointing at the mechanic uh, that says, this is the guy who did it, but all the neon is being used in the police department's filing cabinet system. So we don't have room for it. Uh, and well, they don't have also, labels, so they have to see the files somehow. <laughs> it's very, very true. You don't have overhead lighting because that's simply illuminating the one overhead fan. Uh, a phrase that is used in this portion of the episode is lip shits fit, which I very much yep. enjoyed. Uh, we learned that Daniels may have used his squad car for sex. <laughs> Ew. Not, yeah. Which, uh, who wants to have also, sex I, in the I, back I, of a police car? Again, and, and I am not sure about their, their police work the, that, that goes into this. They say some of it may not have been consensual. And I'm like, mm, I don't know how you could figure that out. Just by just by looking at a, a, you know, a car seat. Yeah. Again. Yeah. That, the, the, she had a lot to live for. Is, so there's a lot of forensics. When there's, work. there's some like Sherlock thing going on where like you're just kind of getting into the mind of the killer here. Yeah. Well, what's also interesting is this in the scene too where they're like, there was some sex. He was known for picking up women on the beat and some of it may not have been consensual. And Lipschitz is like, the fuck? Like, why is it? Why has I not heard about this yet? And then uh, Rita's just sort of like, no, well, no one made a complaint. Let's talk about police work, guys. Like, <laughs> rarely, like, I mean, I think we now know in the silk stockings world, like, you could murder someone, and as long as no one complains, no one gives a shit. It's just, it's Palm Beach, Michael. That's what are you going to do? People this is die. an episode about an abuse of power. Yeah, that's that's much more important. Um, yes. So, Dan, a word is put out for Daniel's arrest. His wife won't hide him. 
when he shows, <laughs> she goes, you showed up to a cop bar to hide from the police. And he's like, I didn't know where else to go. I don't know. The highway, maybe? <laughs> the bus station? Yeah, no. The bus station, perhaps? <laughs> no Palm Beach police officer, including our leads, tends to, like, really think things through. No, 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 no. So uh, eventually, I guess he decides to just turn himself in. He pulls into a very lonely uh, cop, uh, the police department uh, parking structure. Also complete with neon. Yes, very neon lit, colored neon. Very important. Uh, and then shots ring out and we go to commercial. Uh, it turns out that it appears, at least at first glance, that he might have killed himself. Uh, we later learned that he didn't. But upon hearing this, Lipshit stands in the middle of the parking lot next to his car. And as if this is going to be his scene that he's going to submit to for a Cable Ace Award, says, and I wouldn't do anything different. <laughs> He says it twice in case yeah. you were not listening the first time. Yeah, well, maybe you were taking things out of the washing machine and you missed it the first time. So he's going to reiterate it. It's important. It's 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 a, a vaunted acting technique. And, and that's where we get that we get that baffling conversation about how it is it is known apparently that when <laughs> cops commit suicide, they do it a certain way. Yeah, most co- the exact quote is most cops would eat their own gun. Um, which I don't it's like, I, like, I need, I, like you said, I, I need, I need data on this. <laughs> yeah. This is a real pre CSI sort of cop show. They don't even yeah. worry about it. It's like the open that opening scene in, in, in Cobra where he starts listing out statistics that sound right to him, but may have no connection to actual reality. Yeah. Uh, but if, from this point on the game is afoot. We learned that, a gun was stolen from the armory. The killer had to be someone with access to cop cars. The mechanic, perhaps? Oh, you mean like the dude you've been forced to listen to in every act of this show? No! Yes. My favorite is when they're like, a gun went missing from the evidence locker, wherever it is, or like the, the storage unit. Yeah. Months ago. I kind of would be, the next question should be, hey, who did the follow-up on that? Yeah. Anyone? No? No? Okay, great. Cool. Was it because there were no complaints, perhaps? <laughs> oh, oopsie doodle, we lost a gun. Turns out it was used in a crime. Oh, well, where do you want to get lunch? Um, so this is, this is when everything seems to break down. Because now you've got the cop killer mechanic breaking all of his own rules. He pulls over a pretty lady in the middle of the day. Something he's right. not known oh, to do. He's looking around like no one will see me in this parking lot. <laughs> right. In a major <laughs> metropolitan area. This full parking lot that looks like it's in a shopping mall. No one will see me drag this woman. With this, the sirens on. Yeah. With this drag Where's this he at? It must away. be the Palm Beach parking lot. <laughs> <laughs> Near the Palm Beach Bank and Trust. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, and so the, and he gets spotted by a helicopter immediately. And right. they have a bit of a, a chase in which uh, very large profile vehicles don't make corners very well. I'm surprised we don't see a hubcap fly off. Usually would see that sort of thing. Uh, and then he's shot dead in the street uh, like the yes. scumbag he is by a cop mechanic. Fuck you. And left leaving Chris with the question of who's going to repair his car now. Yeah, top that, Chris. 
top hat. <laughs> um, then what really, really iced it for me was this rejoinder in that uh, Act 6 sort of right before closing credits uh, segment where Rita opines, I bet if we looked at everywhere he had been, we'd probably find lots of dead women, which are you going to do that? Are, are you gonna, like, notif- but you know what? That's out of our jurisdiction. <laughs> yeah. Let an intern in on that one. Maybe a secretary can make some fucking calls. And, uh, get nope. Some cold cases uh, solved. Five, no? o- five o'clock. It's Miller time. <laughs> try, try, to, try to get down to society. It's two for one wing night. <laughs> oh my god i'm speaking of which i mean i was going to mention this earlier but did you notice during the scenes where uh they're at society the drinks that walk by are like over the top like fruity looking <laughs> like sugary like neon colored drinks i'm like first off what are those yeah and what police officer is ordering that in the middle of the afternoon <laughs> <laughs> you know like uh i could be investigating this crime but i need to pop on over for a mai tai <laughs> Listen, I can't quite figure out this guy. He's hit three banks in five days. Let's go down to society. I got a slippery nipple with my name. <laughs> oh man, uh, I I am dying to know if society shows back in another episode of of this. I somehow doubt it. I bet you all this is blown to the wind. It's just in the past. As soon as they move on to a different episode. Yeah, I'm sure that that set is, like, repurposed to something else. It'll be, like, an internet cafe where, like, a sexy, like, online modem user is seducing people or something. <laughs> or it'll be, like, uh, it'll be, like, a strip club in, like, several different episodes or something. Yes. Yeah. It's, like, a lingerie models workshop <laughs> or something like that. <laughs> in aerobic studio. It's it's where uh, lady volleyball players work out, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. One of those is is how it turns out. It's, it's where you hire topless models for uh, your art class or something like that. Yeah, or it's the studio of a, a, an acclaimed fashion photographer who oh. only make takes erotic photographs. <laughs> you know, but tonight's and- snapshot is murder. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know what? I love it. I love the. I love Silk Stangs. I very much, and even though it was a bit of a heavier episode. I did. It's still so outrageously a time capsule of its time. It is so uniquely it. Yeah. And there are no direct uh, analogs to it. It's its own thing. Um, so it's I true. Really enjoyed it. And I um, think this did hit all the hallmarks of a silk stockings like aesthetic. You, you're right. It's definitely a little grislier than than usual, but. Uh, it's just sort of the hackneyed police work, the outrageous colors and lights, and just sort of the even though the crime's heavier than usual, like we got to kick through this exposition so uh, Rita Lee, Lance, and uh, Chris can go have uh, a cocktail. <laughs> kick back and put on those straw hats and freeze frame. It's all done. Uh, the man. show loves a freeze frame. It sure does. Uh, the one thing I didn't mention, which I, I just think needs to be said, and, and we'll kind of go out on this, is that the title Silk Stockings wasn't just uh, a title. During the first season, uh, Rob Essis' character would constantly refer to the crimes they worked on as Silk Stockings, literally attempting to make fetch happen. And right. thank God it did not fly. They just gave up on it after a while, but 
those first season episodes where it's like, looks like we got another silk stocking. It's like, what the fuck? Yeah, I think this was like real indicative um, of this sort of like erotic softcore intrigue thriller thing that happened at the time where they wanted to let you know that this was different. Like, yeah. this isn't this isn't a sex crime. It's a silk stockings. <laughs> or, you know, like I, I had I had made the, the the very offbeat comparison to Red Shoe Diaries earlier. And that was it. It was like, dear Red Shoes. I'm like, who's writing to this guy? Like yeah. who? Who is just like really, really like one needs David Duchovny's advice and is then calling him Red Shoes. Like I don't know. I they really, really wanted you to be like swept up in the eroticism and candor of it all. Yeah, I I'd love if at, if at the end of every episode David Duchovny would go. Well, that's another one for the Red Shoe Diaries. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking, I mean, I think that like this was was a um, dipping your foot in the water genre in terms of like sexy, sexy crimes, sexy times, because Rob Estes, as, as we talked about, he stayed on Melrose Place for the first season or two of Silk Stockings because I don't know if they knew that if America was ready <laughs> for the hot and horny stylings of Rita Lee Lance and Chris yeah. Lorenzo and Duchovny. I think that people have forgotten did like three seasons of Red, Red Shoe Diaries as X-Files was starting. Yeah. So well, it's good to have it's good to have a plan B. You, you gotta have yeah. you gotta have a fallback crutch. I mean that X Files debuted on Friday fucking night. Friday night. That is not a vote of confidence, and that show just survived based on word of mouth alone. So yeah, he needed a backup plan. That was X Files was not a sure thing. Um, so I think that just about does it. But before we go, Michael, you got a lot going on right now. I know the podcast has been put on pause, but for a very special reason. Why don't you fill in the audience of what you've been doing lately? Uh, yeah, Dead for Filth is definitely on hiatus for a bit. Um, we will return at some point, I think, I hope, uh, you know, how, how these things go. Um, it's been very, very prolific and busy in the time since. Uh, I had worked with Sam Weinman as uh, executive producer of the upcoming documentary about queer horror that will be dropping on Shutter in June. But in addition to that, I've been doing a lot of writing. Uh, I'm doing three back-to-back thrillers, uh, not quite quite Silk Stockings-esque, but in the, in the universe uh, for Lifetime later this year in, awesome. as, in terms of writing. Uh, I've been traveling a lot with some shorts that I directed, and uh, I also wrote a feature film that I can't talk a lot about, but uh, I do intend to shoot later this year as both uh, writer and director. And then for fans who uh, love a little glamour with with their kill-by-kill situation, uh, I am the sole writer and one of only two directors of Dragula on Netflix. Oh, that's uh, a great show. It's uh, a fantastic show. Oh, thank you so much. Uh, season three uh, is, is currently available. Um, you can even see me in episode four of season three as a guest judge. Uh, and we will be coming back for season four. I don't want the boules to appear uh, in my home in the middle of the night, so I can't say anything too much more than that. But uh, That would be a very frightening and sexy occurrence, speaking of yeah. sexy. I mean, they they do love an entrance. They sure do. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. that that uh, I, I, they Not to hype another podcast, but they happened to, to be on Shockwaves and them talking about how the audience had responded to it and how they had uh, found the pockets of people who had just needed that to connect to and how that affected them. I was literally weeping in the car. It just was amazing. 
It's been uh, a really great experience uh, to be part of, to be honest, for exactly the reason that you're saying. Like, you know, uh, a lot of my work has been about the intersection of queer identity and horror. Uh, and I do that kind of my own bizarre little way. Uh, but also finding your people and connecting with other people who understand that. And when I met uh, the Boulets a couple years ago, uh, we just sort of knew that we were we were kindred spirits. And what they do is so remarkable because they really want everybody to feel like they have a voice. They, yeah. you know, they know that drag is sort of uh, getting attention right now, but it's sort of like there's more than one kind of drag. Uh, and there's also more than one kind of expression. And it's sort of like, from the video store rental era that these these two creatures were born uh, and created these identities because they didn't feel they had anything else. They wanted to provide a platform that other people who need that and want that have it. They wanted to make the thing that they needed and wanted so other people didn't have to go without. And like the show, is, it's easy to look at the show and be like, oh, well, they're eating spiders or this person's dressed as a vampire or whatever. But what it's really at its core is about uh, community and family. Mm -hmm. And um, it's been really wonderful uh, to go out into the world. Like I'll go to film festivals or convention. I was in Germany recently and uh, I was screening a project that I did. And afterwards, just seeing these kind of like hip German punk kids be like, we watched Dracula. And it, like, it means so much. Like we could show our, our mom and dad, like, you know, this, this is like, you know, my people, like, and just, yeah. it, people get to sit and watch it and kind of get a, a bigger understanding because it's more than just the monster. It's like, you hear the story and uh, th there are a lot of really, really great, tearful moments on the show and it's just been really great and seeing the people out in the world respond to it has been everything it's fantastic i can't recommend it enough uh so excited for all the things that are coming up and on your way and of course we'll have you back as often as we can possibly get you to so you can talk about it and, and all that stuff uh i mean you're going to be very very busy so we'll catch a sketch can but we'd love to have you back uh, Gina, uh, where can people find you on these here internets? Well, I, I, that's that's a lot to that's a tough act to follow up. Um, <laughs> I, I I am reviewing TV shows. <laughs> that's going well. Sure. I, I I am recapping episodes of HBO's The Outsider. Um, by the time, oh wait, this goes, this goes tomorrow. So yes. <laughs> we're, uh, I believe we, I just, um, I up to, we're up to episode six on the show. It's a very good show. If you haven't watched it, yeah. watch it. It's good it's stuff. Um, I am also, uh, I also write for this at the spool where I also do, uh, I write about movies and other television shows. Uh, I have my own website, which is kind of, sort of, I haven't formally decided yet, but it might be on hiatus. But if you want to check out what I've written there so far, that's GinaRadcliffe.com. And I am far too frequently on Twitter under Porcelain72. Uh, we're on all the social media places. We'd love for you to uh, review us on iTunes because it helps us be seen and heard by more people. But you know the drill. Hey, uh, support the show on Patreon. We got a brand new episode that went up uh, just yesterday. Uh, we talked about it earlier, 1982's The Seduction. It's a very sweaty and semi-sexy <laughs> movie uh, that stars Morgan Fairchild and a fair amount of her body. And Andrew Stevens, who very stares at her a lot. And that's the vast majority of that 140-minute movie. Uh, it's super weird. Colleen Camp shows up and is very sassy and owns a uh, 
pillow version of a cactus that uh, is in her living room. There's, there's some really excellent subtle symbolism in which uh, in which Andrew Stevens presents Morgan Fairchild with a heart-shaped music box, which she proceeds to knock out of his hand and break it. Oh, nah. no. oh. <laughs> If he wasn't such a stone-cold creep, I'd feel sorry for him. But it turns out he is totally a stone-cold creep. Uh, hear us talk about it on exclusively on Patreon. Uh, thank you for joining us for Valentine's Day. We'll be back uh, with a regular episode of uh, Kill by Kill very, very soon. So for myself, for Gina, for Michael, uh, bye-bye, everybody. Bye. Don't get sexy bye. murdered. <laughs> <laughs>